Hello, welcome back to another edition of the Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am G2. I am here to talk about everything within the week of professional wrestling, whether it be on Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW Dynamite, AEW Rampage, Impact Wrestling. However, on this episode, there will be no AEW Rampage or Impact Wrestling. Impact Wrestling, they showed highlights from previous uh, episodes of Impact because this week was their Thanksgiving special, so that's what happened there. AEW Rampage, AEW uh, was not on Friday night. Uh, Rampage, more specifically, Collision will be having Rampage on before them at 7 o'clock. So you have Rampage coming on an hour before Collision today on Saturday. Um, Collision will be going head-to-head with Survivor Series, so that's the reason why Rampage wasn't on Friday night. Also, there was some type of sporting event to have it on Friday night for uh, TNT, so that's the reason why Rampage wasn't on there. So just want to get that out of the way, why there is no Rampage or Impact Wrestling uh, reviews here on this episode. But now with that being said, let's start the show. So we start with Monday Night Raw. Raw will open up with Drew McIntyre being in the middle of the ring. And Drew McIntyre will be out here to explain why he cost Jay Uso and Cody the WWE Tag Team titles last week. I gave Jay something he never gave me when he attacked me from behind time and time again. I looked him right in the eye before I dropped his arse. And Jay, you're probably looking for a sorry... An apology for costing you the tag titles, for costing you your big moment. I don't remember one apology to me or anyone else back there that you've screwed over with your family. I'm sure there was some collateral damage last week. No Cody was part of that match, but... No, Cody did technically bring Jay to Raw, and I couldn't help but notice on SmackDown, he attacked Jimmy and Solo, and people are probably telling him the same thing to tell me. Get over it. No. Why should we get over it? Huh? Why should I personally get over it? You know what Jay cost me? The biggest thing of all, Clash of the Castle, his bloodline, his family cost me the biggest moment of my life in front of my family. My family, 16 years I've been away from them at the other side of the world, sacrificing everything. I miss birthdays, they understand. Christmas, they understand. My nephews growing up, they understand. That night when I beat Jay's tribal chief was going to be our moment. You're Family bloody took that from my family. So we have a reasoning for why Drew cost Cody and Jay the tag team titles last week. And this always fit into the Drew McIntyre character. Drew has constantly been saying that, yo, he doesn't trust Jay. He doesn't like Jay. And he hasn't forgiven Jay for what him and his bloodline did to him last year, costing him the WWE championship. So this all fits into Drew's whole character of just wanting to screw Jay for as payback. So with Drew getting that out of the way, Drew would then go over into talking about Judgment Day. He lets everyone know that, no, he is not a part of Judgment Day. However, he will be part of the Judgment Day team at War Games. So that's when you get Jay Uso coming out. Drew would tell Jay to come in the ring so they can handle this one-on-one, but then you see Judgment Day come in and they'll stand right behind Drew on the ring apron. Now this has Jay kind of perplexed he doesn't want to get in yet but then you see the world heavyweight champion Seth Rollins come out Sami Zayn come out and then Cody come out and they come out for backup for Jay 
But before anything could pop off, Adam Pearce will come out to the ring and he will let everyone know that if anyone throws the first punch, their team will lose the Survivor Series advantage for their team. Now, Adam Pearce will let both teams know that at 9 o'clock, Adam Pearce needs to know the two participants who will be facing each other in the main event for said advantage for their team at Survivor Series. And also, he lets Cody Rhodes, Sammy, Seth, and Jay know that they need to have a fifth man so they can round out their team for Survivor Series. And Adam Pearce needs to know who that fifth man is before the night ends. So we would get that um, before the end of the night, who the fifth man is. Also, there's a lot of interesting moves around this Judgment Day team because there'll be segments throughout the night of backstage, Judgment Day, uh, being backstage, you see Finn, JD, and Dominic just on the couch talking amongst themselves. You see basically Rhea Ripley and Priest talking to themselves. And Priest, he has a problem with how Rhea basically got Drew on their team. He appreciated that Drew's on the team, but he would have loved for Rhea to talk with JD and the rest of the Judgment Day team because Priest is supposed to be the leader of this team. Rhea would, again, tell Priest, listen, this was a good move. Trust me, everything's going to be all right. Everything's going to be okay. And then once Drew McIntyre pops into the whole Judgment Day lounge, you get this stare down between Priest and Drew because Priest wants to represent the Judgment Day in the advantage match at the main event. But Drew said that he wants to do it because he wants to get his hands on Jay. So Priest would allow Drew to do it because this will allow Drew to prove his worth to the Judgment Day team. So we have our representative for uh, Team Judgment Day. Obviously, you know what happens next. Jay Uso is going to be the representative for uh, his team because Jay wants to have a match against Drew and get some revenge on Drew for last week's interference. So we would get that match for the main event. Now, the first match of the night will be Nia Jax going against Raquel Rodriguez. Nia would win the match by pinfall by hitting two bonsai drops. The first one was whenever Raquel would... Tried to hit a powerbomb on Nia when Nia was climbing the turnbuckles, but Nia was just too much for Raquel, and Raquel would buckle, and that's how Nia would hit the first bonsai drop, and then Nia would hit the second bonsai drop traditionally to win the match. Next matchup, we would have Becky Lynch going against Zia Lee. Becky would win the match by countering a spinning kick into a manhandle slam for the win. Now, after the match, you will see Damage Control make their way through the crowd to try to ambush Becky, but Charlotte... Flair, Shotzi, and Bianca Belair will sneak up behind Damage Control and attack them. Now, this will give everybody a uh, preemptive look about what will happen at War Games. Now, you got all eight ladies basically battling each other, team versus team. You have security, Adam Pierce come out to separate everyone. And this right here was just another way for everyone to get amped up and motivated to watch Survivor Series War Games. Now, the next matchup, we have Ludovic Kaiser going against Johnny Gargano with Tommaso Ciampa in Gargano's corner. Now, the thing with this is, before the match would even happen, you would see Ludwig backstage. He'll walk across uh, Giovanni Vinci, and Ludwig still being upset with Giovanni Vinci getting love and some adulation from Gunther last week. He would tell Giovanni Vinci that he wants him to stay back, stay in the back, so that Giovanni can watch Ludwig basically take care of Johnny Gargano and try to get some love and admiration from Gunther. Now, we would get the match. Johnny Gargano would win the match by pinfall thanks to a distraction from Giovanni Vinci. 
when Ludwig Kaiser would have the match under control, Giovanni Vinci would come out and start shouting instructions to Ludwig. Ludwig would start shouting at Giovanni, and this allowed Johnny to hit a final beat DDT on Ludwig Kaiser to win the match. Now, later, you would see Giovanni Vinci and Ludwig Kaiser arguing amongst one another, and Gunther will walk up. Gunther would say that he's disappointed in Ludwig, and Ludwig would say, you're disappointed in me. I had the match, like, handled until Gio came out there, and I told Gio to stay in the back, and Ludwig would just try to get Gunther to understand, but Gunther would tell Ludwig to be quiet, and he told him, you don't understand. I told you that you were supposed to be in charge of him, but it seems that I probably got it all wrong. And then you see Gunther again give praise to Giovanni Vinci for trying to step up for Ludwig Kaiser in his match. And again, you see Giovanni just eating up the adulation. Ludwig Kaiser is just not being pleased with it. And Gunther would say that, Ludwig, you need to watch what I do with Miz. I'm going to show you some initiative. And he tells both Ludwig Kaiser and Giovanni to fix this out amongst themselves. So again, we're going into the space of now Ludwig Kaiser is being jealous and he wants to get the adulation and the self-praise that Gunther used to give him instead of now he's giving it off to uh, Giovanni Vinci. So again, I like the way we're progressing here because Giovanni Vinci, I feel that he deserves to be in Imperium instead of being the guy on the outs that was being kicked out. So I like that they did this nice little pivot here. Now, next up, We'll have a fatal four-way number one contenders uh, match for the women's tag team titles. You have the teams of Indy Hartwell and Candice LeRae, uh, Katana Chance and Katie Carter, Natalia and Tegan Knox, Ivy Nile and Maxine Dupree all participating in this match. Tegan and Natalia would win this match by pinfall when Maxine Dupree would hit Tegan Knox with a crossbody and Tegan would roll through it and cover Maxine for the win. Now, the biggest takeaway in this match was basically Maxine Dupree actually getting offense and hitting a suplex with a bridging attached to it, hitting the Otis-like worm, actually just getting a nice little spotlight on Maxine Dupree. Because Maxine Dupree, when you look at her, you don't think that she's going to be a wrestler or that she's going to wrestle. She's more of a manager. But she's been putting the time in, and slowly but surely, she's starting to actually wrestle and do things in the ring. So I feel that was the biggest takeaway in this. So Tegan and Natalia winning, not a bad thing. They're the next ones up against Chelsea and Piper Niven. But again, I think the spotlight that came out of this was Maxine Dupree did a good job for what she's been training to do, to wrestle. Now, next up, we would get the Gunther and Miz face-to-face. And this was basically a sports entertainer versus pro wrestler argument, but with a twist because Miz has been constantly getting that pro wrestler, sports entertainer argument whenever he goes against a, like, main eventer or even a pro wrestler's pro wrestler. But now they put a twist on it with Gunther would say that Miz is just like the people in the crowd, a weirdo that happened to get bullied, that happened to enter the sport, and when he met his heroes, they bullied him because Miz doesn't belong in this sport. Because earlier in the face-to-face, Miz would talk about how Gunther's just a robot with one note, basically saying that Gunther has no type of character, no type of nothing. While The Miz, he has everything. He has showmanship, he has the ring skills, he has all these type of things, but he looked up to 
characters, the Macho Mans, the Shawn Michaels, the Kurt Hiddings, uh, Rick Rude, Miz will name a litany of people, and that's how Miz basically got to where he is now. And again, as I said, Gunther throwing in the curveball, saying that Miz is a weirdo, that having to get bullied. I like that they threw that in, because I'm kind of getting tired of every time Miz is in a in a pr- argument, not even an argument, but in a promo with someone. It's always the Miz, the sports entertainer, you're soft, you're this and that. Miz has been in WWE for about almost 20 years now. I don't know what to tell you, but you can't just constantly be a sports entertainer in WWE and not back it up with some wrestling skills. Miz has some skills in the ring to get the job done. And Miz, he hasn't been injured like that, like that. Yeah, he had a couple bruises and scratches. That's just covered the territory. But I don't remember Miz breaking bones like that. So again, for Miz to be in WWE for almost 20 years and not breaking bones like significantly, that proves that he knows what he's doing. So again, I was kind of getting tired of this whole pro wrestler sports entertainer uh, argument between anytime Miz is in a promo with people. Anywho, we would get to the physical aspect of this. Gunther would try to bully Miz, shove him, pie face him, all this type of stuff. Miz will look like he's not going to retaliate, but he does. He starts punching Gunther back. Gunther would big boot Miz. And as Gunther's grabbing Miz up and just still talking trash to him, Miz would low blow Gunther and then hit him with the Skull Crusher finale to lay Gunther out and then hold up the Intercontinental title. So this, people give some reason to hopefully watch Miz and Gunther's match in Survivor Series, but I think we all know what's going to happen. Gunther's going to still retain the Intercontinental title, but we'll wait and see. Now, next up, we'll have Shinsuke Nakamura going against Chad Gable, who will have Alpha Academy in his corner. Nakamura will win the match by pinfall, and Nakamura will throw Gable into an exposed turnbuckle, but Gable will stop himself before he hit it, and this will allow Nakamura to grab Gable from behind and get him in a pin position to win the match. Now, we go over to our main event, Drew McIntyre versus Jay Uso. Whoever wins gets their team the advantage for Survivor Series War Games. And Drew McIntyre would win the match for his Judgment Day teammates when Drew would hit Jay Uso with the Future Shock DDT. Now, that's the first time in a while that Drew McIntyre has actually won with the Future Shock DDT. He's usually always won with the Claymore Kick. So, this was nice to see him win back with his old finishing move. Now, after the match, Rhea Ripley would come down to the ringside and shout at Drew to finish Jay off. You would see Drew attack Jay, throw him outside of the ring, clear off the commentary table, and Drew would want to smash Jay through the commentary table, but Jay would uh, fight back, start fighting against Drew. That's when the rest of the Judgment Day would run out, attack Jay, start beating him up, throw him into the ring, and start dogpiling on him until Cody, Sammy, and Seth would run down with chairs and start eliminating the Judgment Day problem and the Drew McIntyre problem. Now, once Judgment Day and Drew are outside of the ring, you will see Cody and his teammates standing in the ring. Cody will get a mic, and Cody will let them know that he has found their fifth teammate, and he will say that, didn't you know I have a legacy? Why are you looking at us like we're prey? Don't you know that we have an apex predator on our side? All of these things are hinting that it's Randy Orton, and the crowd will just start chanting Randy, and Cody will say, and the fans, they're right. So Randy Orton is their fifth guy. Now, the interesting thing to note about this is whenever Cody is dropping all those hints, the camera will start angling over to Jay, and Jay will have a look of paranoia on his face. 
because Jay knows exactly who Cody is talking about. And once uh, Cody says the people are right, again, Jay is not okay with this pick because Jay and Jimmy were the two guys that took Randy out. They put Randy on the shelf last year along with Roman Reigns. So you can already kind of tell that Jay already is anticipating Randy to probably even backstab him. So now Jay has to go into war games with the same feelings that he had to deal with Sami Zayn last year. Can he trust Randy to get the job done? Can he trust Randy with him? So again, Survivor Series is going to be a nice, interesting dynamic with both teams. Judgment Day, got to trust Drew, but Drew wants Jay more than anything. But Priest, he wants to still be the leader. So again, that's a nice little story that we got on that team. And now with the team of Cody, Seth, uh, Sammy, Jay, and Randy, Jay has to trust Randy. So again, that's going to be a nice little dynamic there to see how that fully interacts with one another. Because this will be the first time Randy has interacted with anybody and legitimately a year in, I want to say about five, six months. So again, this is going to be interesting to see how they pull this one off. But I'm going to watch the see Survivor Series. So with that, that's your Raw Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now we move over to NXT. NXT will open up with the NXT Heritage Cup being defended. Noam Dar with Metaphor in his corner going against Chad Gable who have Alpha Academy in his corner. Now Noam Dar would win the first fall in the second round by a pinfall thanks to interference from Oral Mensa when Chad Gable was behind Noam Dar and Noam will be pushed into the turnbuckle. Noam would duck into the second turnbuckle and Chad will follow. This allowed Oral to kick Chad in the head. This allowed Noam to hit the Nova Roller, which is a running Insiguri, on Chad, then cover him to win the first fall. Now, the second fall will go to Chad Gable in the fifth round by pinfall when Chad will hit the Chaos Theory, or as they would like to call it, Grand Aptitude, I believe. Anywho, he'll hit Chaos Theory, get the second fall. Now it's 1-1. Now they're off to the sixth round, and they'll go to the time limit draw because Chad Gable would have Noam Dart in the ankle lock, and Noam would not tap until after the bell would ring. Like literally seconds after it would ring, Noam would tap the mat. So this is the first time that it's ever went to a draw. So the ring announcer would let everyone know that in a draw, the cup does not change hands. So Noam Dar is still your Heritage Cup champion. So Noam is still your champion. I'm pretty sure this isn't going to be the last time we see Chad Gable down at NXT, like challenging for this Heritage Cup or having business with metaphor. So we'll have to wait and see, but good Heritage Cup match between both Noam and Chad Gable. Now, next up was supposed to be the NXT Women's Championship match, but Zia Lee would attack Lyra Valkyria from behind during her entrance. This will have medical personnel come out to check on Lyra, and at this moment, Lyra was not able to defend her NXT Women's Championship. She would be brought to the back. They would check on her throughout the night, and Lyra would make it to the main event to defend her NXT Women's Championship, but I'll get to that match when I talk about the main event. Now, next up, we will have a tag matchup. Idris Anafe and Malik Blade going against Angel Garza and Humberto Carrillo. Angel and Humberto would win the match by pinfall when Humberto would pop Idris in the air and Angel would kick Idris in the face as Idris was coming down. Now, that's how the Cousins would win the match. A solid match from both Angel Garza and Humberto with Idris and Malik. Idris and Malik, they got more aggressive here. And it's been some times we've seen Idris and Malik like on NXT TV being in the tag team match. As I've said before previously, 
I think 2022, they were at least towards like the summer part, spring, summer. They were putting in time with Idris and Malik. Like they were trying to problem as one of the top tag teams, at least the up and coming teams for NXT. But just in 2023, I just haven't been seeing a lot of Idris and Malik. I don't know what happened. I don't know what drawback they have on that team. I think, again, those two are a great tag team that just needs to have a lot more time on TV. Hopefully they get that in 2024. But they had a good match here with uh, Andrew Garza and Humberto. Now, after the match, Andrew Garza and Humberto, they will look into the camera, and they're going after Tony D'Angelo and Stax. They want a tag team title shot, and they would make that presence way more noticed uh, later in the night because uh, throughout the night, you will see Tony D'Angelo and Stax, like, going to their Italian restaurant, eat with the uh, family, and they do the whole Italian stereotypes, member after member, walk up to Tony, hand up envelopes full of cash, yada, yada, yada. He leaves the restaurant, he gets tagged by Andrew Garza and Humberto, and again, they're making their point known, they want a shot at the NXT Tag Team titles, and they will get it. Next week, you will see the family going against Andrew Garza and Humberto for the NXT Tag Team titles, so mission accomplished. Now, next up, we will have the Iron Survivor qualifying match. This week, for both men and the women, were picked by JBL. For the men, it was Carmelo Hayes going against Josh Briggs. And for the women, it was Thea Hale going against Blair Davenport. Now, for the men's side, Carmelo versus Josh. Josh would win the match by pinfall, thanks to interference from Lexus King. When Carmelo Hayes was looking to hit nothing but net, Lexus would come down to the ring, get on the apron, distract Melo. Melo would not. Lexus off the apron, then run towards Briggs. Briggs would hit Mello with a clothesline, then go to the top turnbuckle and hit a moonsault for the win. So now, so far in the men's Iron Survivor matchup, we have Trick Williams, Dijak, and Josh Briggs. Now, here's a little interesting note about this match between Mello and Briggs. This is like their second time facing each other in WWE. The first time was in the inaugural uh, breakout tournament in 2021. And I think, to be honest... Josh Briggs and Carmelo Hayes, they were actually in the class that got signed together. I think they got signed legit together. So, again, that's a nice uh, little interesting tidbit about this match. So, right now, when you look at the record between the two, both of them are one-on-one with each other. So, with Melo losing this one, I can see them probably bringing this back sometime later. And, again, bringing the history of these two uh at least bringing that up whenever they go back against one another. Now, next up, we have Wes Lee coming out to the ring, and Wes would talk about wanting to get back the NXT North American Championship. Wes talks about Dom's reign as champion being marred as the Judgment Day constantly saving him and how Wes wants a shot at deadline. Dominic will come out and tell Wes that Wes has to face three former North American champions next week just to get a shot at the championship at deadline, and Wes would agree. And we would find out later in the night that Wes will be facing Cameron Grimes, Bronson Reed, and Johnny Gargano next week in a Fatal 4-Way match on NXT. Now, off to the Women's Iron Survivor qualifying matchup. We will have Blair Davenport going against Thea Hale. Thea will have JC Jane in her corner. Blair would win the match by pinfall, hitting a Kamagoye. For people that don't know, that's whenever you hold your opponent's arms and then you bring them close to you and you hit them directly in the face with a knee strike. So that's how Blair would win. Now, the thing in this match was Thea Hale cannot believe that Andre Chase isn't 
with her even whenever uh Thea got gets mad at Andre Chase. Andre Chase is still around Thea for her big matches. This one she, he isn't here. So this kind of gets Thea off her game. Even though JC kinda coach Thea through it, towards the end, when Thea has the match in her grasp and she hits a senton on Blair, she looks at the Chase U uh section and the Chase U section just like last week with Audrey Chase and Duke Hudson when they had their match against the family. They're not chanting. They're not doing nothing. They're just sitting down. Theo would try to get them to cheer, but they would do nothing. JC would tell Thea that she needs to pay attention. So when Thea does pay back attention on Blair, it was just too late. Blair would get her. So I like how they're still continuing this whole thing with the whole secret that Audrey Chase has. Uh, what's he been doing with Chase U? We'll finally get an answer from that next week because Andre Chase is supposed to be speaking out loud about what's going on, the scandal. So we'll at least get to hear from Andre Chase what's going on with Chase U. But so far in the women's Iron Survivor matchup, we have Tiffany Stratton, Last Legend, and Blair Davenport. So it seems that we got an all heel uh, deadlock Iron Survivor matchup. More than likely, they're going to get a baby face in there, if not next week, probably the week after that. Because I don't think they're going to have all heel women in this matchup. But they could go that route. And I don't think anybody will like blink an eye on it. But I just don't think they will. Now next up we have Charlie Dempsey with Miles Bourne and Drew Gulak in his corner. As he goes against Eddie Thorpe. Eddie Thorpe would win the match by pitfall. When Eddie Thorpe would roll out of the octopus stretch. And lock Charlie Dempsey up in a pinfall to win the match. Now after the match Drew Gulak. Charlie Dempsey and Miles Bourne would attack Eddie Thorpe. This little sub uh, rivalry has been going on for the past couple of weeks. Eddie Thorpe, he's still kind of being like treated as the new guy in NXT. Drew Gulak, he still like feels as like the seasoned vet that wants to train people and all that, and he feels that Eddie Thorpe is below him. So that's the reason why you see. Drew Gulak, Miles Bourne, and Charlie Dempsey, like, beat up on Eddie. So that's this whole little feud here. Uh, I'm okay with it. Hopefully we get something more out of it. But if this is just a reason just to get these guys on TV, fine, I'm cool. As long as they keep everybody relevant with uh, seeing them on TV and as long as they're paying attention and doing stuff with them, that's cool. Now, off to the main event, the NXT Women's Championship matchup. We have Lyra Valkyrie defending her title going against... Zia Lee. Lyra Valkyrie would retain her NXT Women's Championship by pitfall when she would counter Zaya's spinning heel kick and hit her own uh, spinning heel kick on Zaya and then finish her off with a cradle shot, which is Chris Saban's uh, finishing move. So Zaya loses her opportunity. She loses the match against uh, Lyra Valkyria. Lyra is still your NXT Women's Champion. And that's how NXT will go off. So, that's your NXT Wrestling Highlights of the Week. And now we move over to AEW Dynamite. On this episode of Dynamite, we will start off with the Continental Classic. For people that are unaware, what the Continental Classic is, is basically AEW's version of the G1 Climax. But instead of like 23 and sometimes 24 individuals that the New Japan G1 Climax would be, in AEW there are going to be 12 participants, 6 participants in each uh, group. You have group 
well, gold, which is the gold bracket. You have Jay Lethal, Swerve Strickland, Mark Briscoe, John Moxley, Jay White, and Roosh. And in the blue uh, group, or as they call it, the blue bracket, you have Claudio Castagnoli, Brody King, Brian Danielson, Eddie Kingston, Daniel Garcia, and Andrade El Idolo. Now, what this whole tournament is for, at the end of the tournament, the man for block uh, gold and the man from block blue, the final two guys, they'll be facing each other at World's End for the Ring of Honor World Championship, the New Japan Strong Championship, and now AEW's new debuting championship, the AEW Continental Championship. So they'll be the first ever uh, Triple Crown Champion, at least in AEW's eyes. So we have that, and this episode of Dynamite would have the gold bracket. You'll first start off with Swerve Strickland going against Jay Lethal to open up the show. Swerve would win against Jay Lethal by hitting a house call, then the Swerve Stomp to pin Jay Lethal, and I forgot. Uh, if you win your match by pinfall or disqualification, you will get three points. Oh yeah, and submission. So pinfall, submission, disqualification, you win by three points. By ring out, I believe it's only by one point. So that's how that goes. And also, you will be contested in a one-on-one confrontation match. AK meaning there is no interference because everybody is banned from ringside. So it's nothing but one-on-one competition. And going back to the Swerve and Jay Lethal match, I like how Swerve and Jay Lethal started off the show Dynamite Swerve with the continuation of people cheering for him from his match at Texas Deathmatch at... uh, full gear and he still has his like shoulder bandaged up because he got beat up a good bit and his shoulder still feeling the worst of it uh Jay Lethal will go after the shoulder uh Swerve will go after Jay's leg to kind of injure him off to make sure he couldn't hit the lethal injection so Swerve's plan worked I like that we have Jay Lethal in this tournament people will say Jay Lethal's probably like the odd man out when you look at the gold bracket, but I think people forget how good Jay Lethal is, and this match with Swerve uh, proved it, and if it didn't prove it for certain individuals, show me, they'll see how good Jay Lethal is, and how Jay Lethal really is that good, and people just keep on forgetting as this tournament will go on. Now, next up, we will get a segment from Better Than You, Bebe. You have Adam Cole and MGF in the ring. Both of them are limping and hobbling. You have Adam Cole, who's still on crutches because his Angle is broken. He's still wearing a boot. Uh, MGF, he will come out uh, using a cane because he uh, has some hip issues from what is being said by people. And I can believe it's hip issues because my man did a nasty like elbow drop onto Jay White outside of the ring at full gear, which was not needed. But hey, MGF and Jay White, they did it for the love of the game. Um, MGF, he's out here to Peacock about still being your AEW tag champ well, AEW World Champion and Ring of Honor Tag Champ, excuse me. MGF with Peacock about being the longest reigning AEW World Champion, being the youngest reigning World Champion, having the most defenses as World Champion. As I said, MGF is out here to Peacock. He would hand over the microphone to Adam Cole. Adam Cole would tell everyone again that he is going to start rehabbing on his ankle and that when he comes back, he's going to be the best Adam Cole at his number one uh, 100%. I mean, Adam Cole's just letting everyone know that, hey, be uh, patient, have some time, I'm going to come back. Trust me, it's still on the road. 
Now, once you would get this out of out of cool MGF, out walks Samoa Joe. You know what Samoa Joe wants. Samoa Joe is out here. He tells MJF that he wants his world title match because he helped MJF at Full Gear to retain the Ring of Honor Tag Team Championships. Now, at first, MJF would act immature and he would tell Samoa Joe to blow him. And the AEW like production team, they would like censor that. You don't hear it. So once he tells Samoa Joe to blow him, Samoa Joe just quickly starts yakking up MJF like at the rope. And Adam, he would tell Samojo, listen, let me talk to MJF. Let me talk to him. I'm begging you. So Samojo will let go of MJF. Adam will tell Max, listen, that's what the old MJF would say. The new MJF, the guy that I call my best friend, he will be a man of his word. He will honor that. So we get that here. MJF would say, you know what? You're right. You're on. As a matter of fact, we could do it right now here in Chicago. And MJF would take a dig at Chicago's legend by uh, saying that this wouldn't be the first time that I beat a Ring of Honor legend in Chicago, and he says twice, and he makes reference to CM Punk. So we get that Samoa Joe would decline the offer, and Adam Cole and MJF is shocked. And I'm shocked how Adam Cole is shocked by this, because Adam Cole was like pleading with MJF not to get into a match with Samoa Joe here tonight. So once Samoa Joe said that he wasn't going to do it, I would have thought I saw a happy face on Samoa Joe's face. But no, you saw a shock look on Adam Cole's face. Anywho, uh, Samoa Joe would tell MJF, listen, I'm not going to give you the opportunity to complain on uh, social media the next day saying that you weren't ready, you weren't at 100%. So Samoa Joe tells MJF that he wants him at his 100% full best and he wants the match to happen at full not full gear, God, world's end. So we have this, MJF would say, you want me at my best, at my place, my hometown. MJF would say, you're on. And Samojo would tell MJF the reason why. I want you at your best because I want to beat you in front of your family, your friends. I want to uh, basically make you lifeless. But he also tells Max that you don't have to worry about the devil. Because that's been a thing that's been looming over MJF for some time now. Who's under the devil mask. Samojo so basically tells Max in layman's terms that you're my property. He used street terms. I'm going to be watching you. Every step that you make, I'll be right behind you every little step. And he's basically going to be MJF's protection until uh, World's End. So we get that match settled away. MJF going against Samojo at World's End for the World's Type Championship I think everybody knew that's where it was going, but for them just to solidify it, they had to do a segment here. And again, still have Adam Cole here on television. It still kind of sets up like Adam Cole could be the devil in the devil's mask. And the funny thing about this, you will get a little uh, devil sighting here because the lights would flicker off and then you'll see the devil on the screen laughing. So again, we still don't know who's under the devil mask. I think we're going to get a explanation, not an explanation, but unmasking at World's End. And that's where we're at with this. Now, next up, we get a trios matchup. We'll have the Ring of Honor Pure Champion Shibata teaming up with the FTW Champion Hook, teaming up with the AEW International Champion Orange Cassidy, going against 2.0 and Jake Hager. We will get the return of Danhausen before the match would uh, begin, and he's out there to support his friend Orange Cassidy. Orange Cassidy, Shibata, and Hook would win the match by submission when Hook and Shibata will have tandem submissions 
locked in on 2.0. Hook will have Red Rome locked in on Angelo Parker, while Shibata will have the sleeper hole locked in on Matt Menard. So we get that fun trios match. No more need to be said. Um, next up, we have the Patriarchy come out. This is Christian Cage's group. Christian is out here because he wants to rechristen Luchasaurus and Nick Wayne in his own image. Christian will tell Luchasaurus to take a knee. And at first, you see Luchasaurus really apprehensive of this. He doesn't want to take a knee. He doesn't listen to uh, Christian Cage. And then you see Christian yet again tell Luchasaurus to take a knee. And then you start seeing again Luchasaurus not doing it. So Christian will start yelling at Luchasaurus to get down on a knee, calling him a moron, an idiot, basically beating him into submission verbally. So Luchasaurus would drop down and take a knee. Christian would tell Luchasaurus that his new name is going to be Killswitch because the name Luchasaurus is a name of failure and that Christian wants to name Luchasaurus after Christian's finisher because that has done him well in the past. So Luchasaurus' new name or moniker is Killswitch. Now, Christian will look over at Nick Wayne. Nick Wayne will automatically, without question, just drop down to a knee. Christian, he will look at Nick Wayne, and he will tell him to get up, stand on his feet. Nick Wayne will get up, and Christian will tell him, don't you ever kneel down in front of another man. And again, you're saying this all in front of Luchasaurus. Again, this is all, like, verbally just beating someone into submission, the way that Christian is doing this with Luchasaurus. It's mind-blowing. Um, Christian would tell Nick that he is Christian's golden boy and that he sees a lot of himself in Nick Wayne. So he gives Nick the nickname, The Prodigy. So Nick will now go ask The Prodigy, Nick Wayne. You'll see Christian Cage and Nick hugging each other. Nick's mom will come down there. She would do as any mother would do. She would try to talk some sense into Nick, try to get him away from Christian, but Christian would step in front of that and just start talking crazy to Nick's mom, saying that she was a waitress and how she didn't make ends meet for both herself and Nick when her husband died, Nick's father. And again, Christian will go after the father, saying that he wasn't a good wrestler and that Nick Wayne would have uh, basically just abandoned the mom and dad once, if the father was alive, to basically be with someone like Christian, someone that could develop his career, develop his future. I mean, again, Christian is just pulling off this patriarchy dickhead role to perfection. So you've seen Christian tell the mom to leave the ring and he yells at her to Luchasaurus. He would get off of his knee. He would get in front of Christian. And now you just see the crowd start cheering for Luchasaurus. Uh, Christian would tell Luchasaurus to get back on the knee. Luchasaurus isn't listening to that. And again, you'll see Christian yell at Luchasaurus. And again, not doing it. And now you see Luchasaurus start listening to the fans as the fans are chanting for Luchasaurus. So Christian would threaten Luchasaurus, telling him, if you don't get back on your knee, I will unmask you and show everyone what's hiding underneath that mask. And again, Luchasaurus doesn't want to hear it. He doesn't pay attention to Christian. So Christian decides to shove Luchasaurus. And with him doing this, Luchasaurus would knock into Nick Wayne's mom, and Nick Wayne's mom would land on the mat. So you would see everyone in the ring look confused. Christian would go over to Nick and tell him to go get something. So Nick would leave the ring, he'll go underneath it and start grabbing chairs. So you know what's coming next. Christian will place a chair under 
uh, Nick's mom's head, and you see Christian about to deliver a concerto. Everyone's sick at this moment. Luchasaurus, he can't believe what's about to happen. Tony Schiavone, he can't believe it. Excalibur, Taz, I mean, everybody just can't believe what we are about to see. And Christian will stop himself, and then he will hand the chair over to Luchasaurus. Luchasaurus, he would take it, and you see him be conflicted. He doesn't want to hit Nick's mom with the chair, and Christian just continues to yell at Luchasaurus to do it, do it, while Nick, he's just allowing it. He just gets, like, posted up in the back, not worrying about this. So, you see Luchasaurus, again, he's still conflicted, doesn't want to do it. Adam Copeland, he would rush down to the ring. He would spear Nick Wayne. He would big boot Luchasaurus in the face, and then he would have a stare down with Christian Cage. And before Adam could do anything to Christian, Luchasaurus would pull Christian out of the ring. Adam would look back at Nick Wayne. He would spear Nick Wayne again, then hit him with the impaler. And now you see Adam about to hit a concerto on Nick Wayne. He starts putting Nick's head on the chair. Nick's mom sitting in the corner looking at the action. She doesn't like what's about to happen to her baby boy. She's waving off Adam not to do it. You see on the ramp, Christian Cage is yelling that's my boy. Don't you touch him. I mean, everything is not looking good for Nick Wayne at this moment. And Christian, he wants to run back down there to grab Nick. But Luchasaurus, he grabs Christian to make sure that he doesn't do it because he knows that Christian could get hurt. So Adam, he would hit Nick Wayne with a concerto. And again, the scene is crazy because Christian Cage, he cares for Nick. Uh, the mom's in the ring. She just waved down Adam not to do it. And Adam still did it. And Luchasaurus, I think he's kind of jealous, and that's the reason why he allowed that crap to happen to Nick Wayne, to be honest with you. That's the reason why he didn't allow Christian to go back in there to pull Nick Wayne out. So all these things, we got different, like, fillers going through this whole segment here. And I'm cool with it because we know what the outcome of it's going to be. We know Adam is going to face Christian. That's what it's all leading to. But the route that they're taking to get there... I like this because, again, I tweeted out AEW knows drama since they're on the TNT network. Well, TBS Turner, but um, it's all just a big drama ball. And I'm I'm cool with it because Nick Wayne, he's young. He needs to be exposed on TV more. Uh, Christian Cage, he's a manipulator in the way that he was able to manipulate Nick Wayne and the way that he's manipulating Luchasaurus for all this time. And Luchasaurus is now starting to pop out of this. I like the story that they're doing. And now you got the added involvement of Adam Copeland, who just popped into AEW, what, last month? So you got all these things mixed into this one specific story. I like it. I hope they continue more with it. Um, next up, we continue the content of the classic. Again, we're still sticking in the gold bracket. We have Jay White going against Roosh. Jay White would win the match by pinfall when Roosh would counter the Blade Runner and throw Jay into the ref's def uh, direction. Jay would stop himself before hitting the referee in the corner. Roosh would grab Jay. Jay would hit Roosh with a low blow. The referee doesn't see it. And to deliver the Blade Runner for the win. So now Jay White has three points as well as Swerve Strickland. Next up, we have a triple threat match. Sky Blue going against Ruby Soho, who has Soraya in her corner. Going against Anna Jay, who has 2.0 in her corner. Sky Blue would win the match by pinfall by hitting Anna Jay with the TKO. Now, the biggest thing to come into this match is the whole love story, love dynamic that we have with uh, Cool Hand Angelo Parker of 2.0 trying to flirt with Ruby Soho, and Ruby Soho's kind of digging Angelo Parker. 
You got Soraya and Matt Menard kind of being the haters of this, trying to keep Ruby and Angelo separated from each other. Anna Jay in this, she just wants to win the match. She wants to just be a wrestler. She's not dealing with all the crap that's going along with this whole love triangle story that we see right now. She's only one just wants to win. But again, the love triangle, it costs her. It costs her dearly because at one point she kind of has the match won, but you see the situation that's going on in hand with Cool Hand Ange and Matt Menard and Soraya and Ruby Soho that it costs her the match. So Sky Blue, she ends up getting the win, but the big story to come out of this is what's going on with Angelo Parker, Soraya, Ruby Soho, Matt Menard, the whole situation and what's going to happen in the future with all four of these individuals. Now we move over to the main event. We have still sticking in the gold bracket. We have John Moxley going against Mark Briscoe. John Moxley would win the match by pinfall by hitting the curb stomp. Then the paradigm shift on Mark to win the match. So to end off the gold bracket for right now, we have John Moxley, Swerve Strickland, and Jay White with three points each, while Roosh, uh, Jay Lethal, and Mark Briscoe have zero, but they still have time to recover because everybody in this tournament for the gold bracket, they have to face each other to gain points. That's how that works. Same thing with the blue bracket. Um, so that's how Dynamite will end. I have no problem with this episode of Dynamite. I like how they are establishing this uh, tournament. Hopefully we get to have it yearly. Um, but yeah, nothing more needs to be said. Now with that, that's your AEW Dynamite Wrestling Highlights of the Week. And now we move over to SmackDown. SmackDown will open up with Becky Lynch, Bianca Belair, Shotzi, and Charlotte Flair coming down to the ring. Becky Lynch would mention that she knows it's strange to see her teaming up with Charlotte, but any opportunity she gets to beat up damage control, she's in. So that's the reason why she has decided to join Bianca Belair, Shotzi, and Charlotte to go into war games. Each member of this respective team will talk about how they can't wait to get their hands on damage control at war games. This would have Bailey to come out, and Bailey will talk about how unstable this team is compared to damage control because you have Becky and Charlotte at moments just staring at one another. And again, those two still don't like each other, but they're trying to put their differences aside for the greater good, and the greater good is damage control. Bailey will continue to speak, but then get stopped by Becky Lynch. Becky will tell Bailey that she didn't get here on Friday night just to talk. She's here to wrestle. She's here to fight. And she proposed a challenge that Bailey get any two members of damage control to go against any two members of this team in the main event. Bailey would agree. So we have our main event set up. Now, throughout the night, periodically, you'll have bash day segments. You'll only get one from damage control. You will see Bailey go to damage control. You see EO, Kyrie, Asuka, and Dakota all standing right beside each other and just talking amongst themselves. Bailey would walk in and say that, hey, I got us a match against any two members of the other team tonight. And you would see Bailey just start suggesting maybe it's be Asuka and Kyrie teaming back up together, the, uh, the Kabuki Warriors, or even EO teaming up with Asuka. Bailey would start just throwing out different suggestions, not including herself in this. And you just see all four of the other women just staring at one another, just like not really amused by this. You see Asuka, Kyrie, and EO talk Japanese. Dakota will have to tell Bailey that they have decided that why not it be Bailey being in that main event tag match 
and then Bailey teams up with Asuka. Bailey, you can see in her face, she's still not cool with this idea. She's not cool with kind of being the left, like the outcast in this group. But Bailey will go along with it. So we have the team for damage control is Bailey and Asuka. Now later in the night, you will see different backstage segments from Team Bianca, Charlotte, Shotzi, and Becky. And you see Becky and Charlotte still not getting along with each other. You see Bianca and Shotzi try to be the peacemaker, try to get both of these two back online together. And ultimately, you know it's going to be Becky and Charlotte teaming up together, going against Bailey and Asuka. The big question would be, can those two come together and at least get themselves together to make sure that they win against Bailey and Asuka? Well, we'll find out in the main event. Now, the first match of the night will be for the Undisputed Tag Team Championships. You have the Judgment Days, Finn Balor, and Damian Priest, along with Rhea Ripley in their corner going against the Street Profits. No Bobby Lashley will come out. Bobby Lashley will be backstage watching the match on the screen, and right beside him will be B-Fab. Judgment Day would retain their championships by pinfall, thanks to Rhea Ripley interfering. When Montez Ford was on the top turnbuckle, looking to hit Priest with a frog splash. Rhea will get on the apron, distract the ref, allowing Finn to knock Montez off the top turnbuckle onto the mat. Priest will hit Montez with the Bro Derek, which is basically the tombstone uh, flat first uh, slam. Then tagging Finn Balor to hit the coup de grace to win the match. So Judgment Day retains their tag team titles and they gain some more momentum going into war games. Now you will see like after the bell rings you go backstage, you see Bobby Lashley, he's not too happy. And this will more likely pick up next week on SmackDown. You'll probably get Bobby probably berating the Street Profits, and hopefully the Street Profits will have some backbone and say, you should have been out there with us like Rhea was out there with the Judgment Day. That maybe we could have came up with tag team titles. Again, you could tell there might be some things maybe in the works with the way that Bobby was walking away angry. B-Fab would tell Bobby don't be angry, but again, you see Bobby upset, and Bobby doesn't like losing, especially since he now has the Street Profits underneath his wings. He wants them to be winners and all this type of things. I just want the interaction next week between the Profits and Bobby, because I think that you need to have this inner turmoil with the team, and B-Fab kind of be the glue that keeps all of them together. I think that'll be a great dynamic, since B-Fab isn't doing much, and again, you could probably even get Ashanti in there. Ashanti D. Adonis, and then you can get another group together. Because I don't like Ashanti D. Adonis kind of like being the odd person out. You got Top Dollar that's gone. He's not in WWE now. You got B-Fab still there, and you see that B-Fab's kind of being stuck with, or at least trying to be aligning herself with Bobby and the Prophets. And Ashanti D. Adonis, he's by himself. That's weird to me. I hope that they find something to do for him. If not, just stick him with B-Fab and put him with the Prophets and Bobby. If anything, they could probably help Ashanti D. Adonis be a better wrestler because you don't get to see him much in the ring like that. So I'm not certain if he's perfected it or if he wants to be a wrestler or not. I don't know. I just don't want the man to be left out in the cold. That's just my whole deal. But again, pertains to the match here. Judgment Day, get momentum going into war games as the Prophets. You can tell they're probably going to be dealing with Bobby next week because he's pissed off. Now, next up, we will get the Grayson Waller effect. And his guest was supposed to be Kevin Owens, but it was all a ruse. It will ultimately be Austin Theory cosplaying as Kevin Owens in his gear. And he would come out. And before those two can even crack on Kevin Owens, Kevin Owens' music would hit. And then the real thing would come out. Kevin Owens would walk out. 
Grayson Waller would shout at Kevin Owens, saying that he's supposed to be suspended, but Kevin Owens would tell him, yeah, he was suspended, but that suspension has ended. So you get Grayson Waller, tell Kevin Owens that he's upset with him because Kevin Owens cost him his match with LA Knight a couple weeks ago, and that if Kevin Owens wouldn't have interfered, it wouldn't have been a commentary, he would have beaten LA Knight. Now, Kevin Owens, being the wrestling fan, come to life as a wrestler, he mentions that you know how this thing usually work, right? You don't get to say someone's name multiple times without them coming out here. Grayson Waller and Austin Theory would play stupid and they don't know what he's talking about. Austin Theory would say LA Knight's name again and LA Knight would come out. And you know the rest where this goes. Kevin Owens, LA Knight, they end up decking uh, Grayson Waller and Austin Theory in the face, throwing them out of the ring, and they just start destroying the Grayson Waller effect like setup. Now, this will set up the next tag, next, uh, tag team match. It'll be Kevin Owens and LA Knight going against Grayson Waller and Austin Theory. KO and LA Knight would win the match by pinfall, with KO hitting Waller with a stunner. LA Knight hitting Austin Theory with the BFT to win the match for the team. So, we had that here. Next up, we have Carlito coming out to the ring. The main thing with this is Carlito talked to Santos Escobar in Spanish, and my guess is that he calls Rey Mysterio family and L uh, LWO family, and plans on getting revenge for Rey Mysterio at Survivor Series. Santos will come out, come to the ring angry, and just hound Carlito because Carlito took everything away from him. Uh, Rey Mysterio, the LWO, and he even calls Carlito an outsider. Santos even points out that Carlito doesn't have an LWO tattoo, and he isn't even wearing any type of LWO apparel, not a t-shirt, no nothing. So this gives credence to why Santos will call Carlito an outsider. Now, you see Santos continue to talk mad to Carlito. This will end up with Santos and Carlito getting into a brawl outside of the ring. Backstage officials will come to the ring to separate both of the men. Uh, Santos, he would walk up to the back. Carlito would still try to get at Santos, but he wasn't able to. Now, you have the camera angle shot at Carlito being restrained by officials and referees. And you would see Santos come through the crowd and get on the barricade and just knee Carlito behind his back and his shoulder. And this would, like, take Carlito down. Carlito would fall on the floor and he would just hold his shoulder up. So it seems that Carlito is hurt at this point. Now, we go to commercial. We come back. Carlito is walking backstage, still holding his shoulder Santos would attack him from behind again, put a little bit of a beat down on him. Dragon Lee, he would make the save. Dragon Lee would beat up on Santos, make Santos run away. And later in the night, Nick Aldis, he will let the people know that Carlito is hurt and he wouldn't be able to compete against Santos Escobar at Survivor Series. Dragon Lee would walk up to Nick and ask to take Carlito's place. Nick Aldis would give in to Dragon Lee's request. So Dragon Lee will be going against Santos Escobar at Survivor Series. Next up, you have the tag team match of Pretty Deadly going against the Brawling Brutes. Pretty Deadly would win the match by pinfall when uh, Kit Wilson would get Butch in a sliding crucifix pin after Butch would hit Elton Prince with a bitter end. So that's how Pretty Deadly would win this match. Now the big thing to take out of this is that Ridge Holland, he left Butch like... As the match happened, like, in the middle of it, you see Butch going over to try to tag in Ridge. Ridge is not on the apron. He's actually by the barricade looking at Butch, and he decides to walk away. I think 
Ridge is still harboring some feelings to last week's miscommunication when Butch hit Ridge by accident. And Butch is just standing there. Ridge, he walks to the back. So Butch, he almost beat Pretty Deadly all by himself. Now, I like that they put this little twist on it because before Brotherly Brutes came together, all right, Ridge, he was doing nothing. He was Seamus, like, understudy or whatever may have you. And Butch, better known as Pete Dunn, he was just by himself. He was a guy that didn't want to be around nobody. He was just a wrestler as a wrestler, the English-European style of wrestler. And now with teaming them together that they did last year, with those two guys being with Sheamus, coming together as the Brawling Brutes, um, Sheamus, he hasn't been around for at least a month and a half, I believe. And you've just been getting Ridge and Butch. Those two have been working together as a team. And you would think Butch is going to be the guy turning on Ridge. Because as I said before, before these two guys were together in the Brawling Brutes, Ridge was kind of like a, eh, nobody. While Butch, he was the guy that everybody wanted to see on the main roster do his thing. Basically get a Gunther-like run. But that hasn't happened. And people were waiting for Butch to turn on Ridge. But since they're doing the Ridge way, you're getting another guy an opportunity to be a star. While you know Butch is going to be a star, either as Butch or when they revert him back to Pete Dunne. You know he's going to have some star-making moments in the WWE because I feel that the guy, Triple H, or Paul Levesque, however you want to know him as, has a future for him in the WWE. While Ridge, on the other hand, not so much. I think they're trying to push Ridge as best as they can, try to give him like multiple opportunities just to say, hey, we gave him a shot, he didn't come up to par, or we gave him a shot and he's actually able to step up. So again, I think they're doing that for Ridge's best benefit, and I think they're letting Butch, Pete Dunn, however you want to know it as, uh, just let him cool off for a little bit and just give the shine to Ridge before we ultimately give it up back to Butch, Pete Dunn. So I like what they're doing with Ridge here, but ultimately you know what the end result is going to be. Butch is going to get at Ridge. Is going to happen. And now we move over to the main event. You will have Charlotte Flair and Becky Lynch with Bianca Belair and Shotzi in her corner going against Bailey and Asuka who have damage control in their corner. You will have Bailey and Asuka winning the match by pinfall thanks to a miscommunication on Charlotte and Becky Lynch's side. When Becky would hit, I believe she hit Bailey with the manhandle slam, covered her for the pin. Asuka, she would try to break it up. Charlotte would hit Asuka with a spear. Asuka's body would land on Becky's leg. This would kind of break up the pin. Becky would get up, start getting at Charlotte. Charlotte tells her, listen, I try to stop Asuka from interfering and breaking up the pin. Becky isn't trying to hear this. This will allow Bailey to get up, push Becky into Charlotte. Those two's head would collide. This would knock Charlotte out of the ring. Bailey would grab Becky and get her in a roll-up pin to win the match for her team. So this gives damage control momentum going into Survivor Series. Now after the match, you would get Becky Lynch and Charlotte once again arguing with one another. Shotzi and Bianca, they would get in trying to stop the two from delivering blows. Becky, she would leave the ring and start walking to the back. So now we have ultimate, well I'm not going to say ultimate, more turmoil in this team as we're going into Survivor Series. So that's how SmackDown will end. So I like that we did that here because, again, people already know Becky Lynch and Charlotte, they don't like one another since their whole past, what, two years ago, but 
I think they might uh, fix it up at War Games, but I'm going to get to that when I talk about predictions. Now, with that, that was your SmackDown Wrestling Highlights of the Week. And now it's time for me to talk about Survivor Series. Now, before I do so, I do want to make mention, as I said earlier, um, SmackDown was on Friday night. Usually after that is AEW Rampage, but there was no Rampage because I believe of a football game happening or a basketball game, one of the two. So that's the reason why Rampage didn't show up. Rampage will be on uh, Saturday today. It'll be on one hour before Collision. Collision comes on at 8 o'clock. So Collision will be literally going head-to-head with Survivor Series. So that's what's going on there. So, hey, I'll talk about Rampage and Collision next week on next week's episode of Wrestling Highlights of the Week. So, again, I want to preface that for that's the reason why there's no AEW Rampage here. Now, with that out of the way, let's talk about Survivor Series. Let's get into my Survivor Series prediction. I think they're going to start the night off with the women's war games. You have Bianca Belair, Shotzi, Charlotte Flair, Becky Lynch going against Team Damage Control. I think you have the team of Flair, Shotzi, Lynch, Belair winning over Damage Control. And it's going to be because of Bailey's own insecurities. And also Charlotte and Becky coming together to beat up Damage Control. Bailey has always been having these insecurities because she's always been the woman out now since Asuka's in the group. And majority of their members are talking Japanese. And you just got Dakota Kai kind of being an interpreter. So I see Bailey trying to be the woman and trying to prove that she's worthy of still being a damage control. And that's basically going to cost them the match. Not just because of Becky and Charlotte coming together. That's going to happen. But damage control again. Bailey feeling that she needs to be up to snuff with them. Since they are just getting, not going to say getting at her, but you can tell that Bailey just feels a type of way. So, I think that's the reason why Damage Control is going to lose. And I think after the match, you're probably going to see Asuka, Io, and Kyrie beat up on Bailey. And I don't expect Charlotte or Becky or Shotzi or Bianca to help out Bailey, to be honest. I think that'll be a moment for everybody just to see Bailey at her lowest. And this will be the redemption arc for Bailey going into Royal Rumble. That's just my idea. Now, next up. I think we're going to get uh, Dragon Lee versus Santos Escobar. Um, They've been giving Dragon Lee matches on SmackDown to really showcase who he can be. And I think with this match with Santos, I think they're going to give him another opportunity to showcase himself, especially on a premium live event on the main roster. But this is Santos, I believe, first time on the main roster, like in a premium live event, like one-on-one style. I know this year he was in the Money in the Bank but for one-on-one, I think this is his first time. And with him just turning on Ray, what, two weeks ago? This is Santos' time to really showcase his character, showcase how evil he can be, how vindictive he can be. So I think Santos is going to beat Dragon Lee on War Games. That's just my personal opinion. And also, Dragon Lee, him eating the, like, losing isn't going to hurt him at all. Um, Next up. I believe it should be for the Intercontinental title, Gunther versus Miz. Gunther's going to win. I don't think I need to go more into it. I think Miz is going to have a good match with Gunther. I think Miz is going to follow Gunther's lead. They're going to work one another. But Gunther is going to beat Miz, period, point blank. Same thing with the next matchup, Women's World Championship, Rhea Ripley going against Zoe Starks. Rhea is going to retain, but this is going to be a matchup for Zoe to really showcase and show off 
what she can do. And this will be a foil fill-out process for Zoe and Rhea to see how their chemistry is whenever the lights are bright on both of them as singles competitors in this matchup. Rhea Ripley, she's had light-shining moments uh, with different individuals this past year, with Charlotte at WrestleMania, with Selena Vega at Backlash. Um, just who who else did she have this year with? I'm probably missing some other people, but just one-on-one competition. She's been able to have great matches when the lights are bright. And I believe this is a time for Zoe to have that moment too. So Zoe, I think she's going to have a good match with Rhea, but Rhea's ultimately going to retain her championship. Now we go over to the main event, the men's war games matchup, where you have Team Judgment Day going against Team Dream. I say Team Dream because Dusty Rhodes has had a part in each guy's uh, career, whether it be Cody Rhodes, which is his father, Seth Rollins, who was a trainee for Seth at NXT. Same thing for Jay Uso when he was down there at FCW. Same thing for Sammy when he was at FCW slash NXT. And Randy Orton, well, Randy Orton was in a feud with Dusty whenever Dusty brought Cody up to the main roster. So again, Dusty has had a touch in each of these members' uh, career. So that's why I say Team Dream going against Team Judgment Day. I think, to be honest with you, I think Team Dream's going to win. And it's not a bad thing to have uh, Team Dream to beat the Judgment Day. I think Drew McIntyre is going to beat up on Jay Uso as much as he can until Sammy steps in and protects Jay. I think we're going to get a tense moment between Randy and uh, Jay Uso because, again, Jay was one of the people that took out Randy last year with the bloodline, so I think we're going to get that little tense moment there. Cody's probably going to have to be the guy to step up for Jay. Same thing with Sammy. Um, but ultimately, the Judgment Day is going to fall because of Priest wanting to be the leader so much and saying that he's the leader, and Drew's probably going to Claymore kick Priest in the face, if I'm going to be completely honest. I think Drew just wants his hands on Jay so much, he doesn't really care about winning. He just wants to obliterate Jay Uso so that that's one member of the bloodline down. Because I think Drew wants to get at every member of the bloodline as much as he can. So Jay is his first stop, and I think he's going to make more notice of that probably at the Royal Rumble. But again, Judgment Day is going to lose because of Priest wanting to be the man, and I think Drew is going to Claymore kick Priest right down in his face. And that's going to give Team Dream the win. Now, with my Survivor Series predictions out of the way, this has been your Wrestling Highlights of the Week presented by G2. Um, just to let you know, my predictions or the review of Survivor Series will be up tomorrow if you do not watch Survivor Series tonight. So expect that along with my Sunday episode. As usual, my Sunday episodes when I talk about everything in the news that happened this past week. So you have a double dose episode tomorrow. So with that being said, this has been your Wrestling Highlights of the Week presented by My Two Cents Podcast. I love you guys. Please be safe. Have a great Saturday. Be blessed. I'll speak to you guys soon. You try to know.